Welcome back to the basement, everyone. You are now tuned in to Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, as usual. Welcome back. Grab a seat. Get comfortable. Have a beverage. We've got plenty. Um, these upfronts we like to do, we like to share a little information, tell you what you're in for so you can check out if it's not really your thing. Uh, so this week, that's exactly what we're going to do. First up, uh, you know, we're going to do both, actually. First up, uh, we're going to be reviewing on the podcast this week a new album from Eleanor Friedberger, The Fiery Furnaces, previously. Uh, you try saying that five times fast because I've recorded this five times at least. Uh, she has a new album out called New View. It is her third solo album. We have been sort of following her solo career since we started the site. Uh, pretty pretty decent fans. So me and Paul sat down and talked about that album to see where how... You know, how we land on that. Checking in with Miss Friedberger. Um, also, our friends Miss Siobhan and Yuma Ray are embarking on yet another adventure in touring. Uh, partnering with a company called Road Nation, which apparently is based right here in D.C. Uh, essentially crowdfunding for tours. Now, this, this is not the first organization to do this, um, but it is the most recent, and uh, since our friends are done, I figured we'd look into it and, and discuss it a little. Uh, so we're also going to be talking about that, and uh, you know, after hearing from a couple parties involved, there might be a little more to discuss about it, but, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see. And regardless, check into it. Maybe support uh, Chris and Aaron, or Ms. Siobhan and Yumaray, uh, in their journeys. Uh, then uh, Paul's got a song for you by a band called Chairlift that I hadn't heard. I quite enjoyed. So that is actually, you know, the podcast you're in for. If none of that sounds appealing, you can just check out now. Uh, if not, then, then hang tight, because I want to tell you about some stuff going on this weekend here in D.C. This will come out on the 4th, so all weekend. On the, on the 6th is, like, basically the biggest night for shows here. You have the 2-Inch Astronaut uh, CD release party at the Black Cat. Uh, that will probably be spectacular. Uh, you have Beauty Pill at the Rockman Hotel, that will most definitely be spectacular. That's where I'm going to go. And and also, we mentioned this last week, uh, the track we played by a band called The Pines, they're playing out of Jam and Java. This is one of their first forays, or most recent forays, into the D.C. area. I saw them open for Israel Nash at DC9 last time, and they were through, and they were spectacular. Uh, so go see them. I Like I said, I'm going to be at the Rockman Hotel, but... They're going to stop by here before they get to Jam and Java. And we're going to have a talk. And you're going to get to hear all about them and all about their awesome new album, Above the Prairie. So, um, so yeah, that, that, is, that is going on this weekend. So I implore you, get out and see a bunch of live music. Uh, if you are down the Virginia way, uh, go and see the Pines. So uh, that is uh, about our intro for this week. And uh, it's time to get to the podcast. So here you go. This is episode number 154 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. Uh, where we're talking about Eleanor Friedberger's new album, New View. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Merely a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up into the last minute. That right there is a wonderful sound. Did you survive the Kanye West tweeter cane? I did. It was uh, 
It was difficult. I mean, I feel like we all had to barricade yeah. ourselves in our houses for a while right there. It ran out of all essentials. I, um, truly. I mean. All the kicks were gone. All the shoes. All the all the fashion items gone. I, I feel like my uh, my windows almost blew in when the hashtag finger up the booty ass bitch was coined. <laughs> we actually talked about this at the end of the last, because Marcus was on the uh, Rihanna one, which you missed, which is fantastic. But uh and uh, yeah, that you know that hashtag got a lot of got a lot of play, so to yeah, speak. Well, uh, you know, it, was, it had the desired result too. So it was the uh, high point, I think, of our culture, the pinnacle <laughs> of, of what we're ever ever going to achieve. Um, now, another another fine episode here of Chunk Glass, the podcast in the basement. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about somebody that is you are a fan of, Paul, and uh, yep. and I'm a I'm a decent fan of Eleanor Friedberger. Uh, previously of the uh, Fiery Furnaces. She's been doing solo since about, what, 2011? About yeah, right, it sounds about right. Yeah, about right are, these are third solo albums. Uh, and so. I think we've covered them all, like, on the site. Yeah. I think it was right about that time. Yeah. Um, yeah, before that, though, uh, we want to get into some uh, nerdy stuff here, as we are wont to do. Uh, our friends, uh, Miss Siobhan and Hugh Murray, or a touring man, uh, Ben Tufts is a member of them, too, uh, they're out in uh, Paso Robles, California, but they, they, they're based there, and then they tour across the country. They are an artist you may not have heard of unless you listen to this podcast. Um, they are very much uh, advocates, I guess, for, for better ways of musicians making a living. You know, that's a good sort of, I guess, place to frame this. Uh, so recently, we got an email from them. They partnered with a company called Road Nation. Now... What Road Nation basically is, is a, it's a crowdfunding platform that is meant to support you on your tour as you, you – maybe it's your state, maybe it's across the country like they're going to try to do. Uh, we've talked about a service like this before called Rabble, uh, and actually you were on that one. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that was our one and only Google Hangout podcast. Uh, and um, you know, with, with all of these crowdfunding things, uh, you, I think we do have to you know, sort of – get a skeptical eye on it. So this one is going to be no exception. Um, in looking at, at what this does, it all sounds good. It's standard crowdfunding, right? And you get incentives and stuff. But there was one stickler on this that uh, the funds that you donate to them don't necessarily offer you a ticket if they're playing in a ticketed venue. Yeah. So I reached out to Chris this morning and I actually have an email out to uh, one of the founders of the company. Um, and... From their perspective, and they're like, they don't know if this is the uh, the intent of the company yet. So from their perspective, though, they are using this as a way to play non-traditional venues. So it is not going to come into play for what they're doing, and it's a very good thing. But I think as a model, you know, what so you, just to be clear, you're talking about they're going to play, you know, somebody's basement or something. Somebody's like basement, that, a restaurant, a restaurant. Uh, you know, if you're familiar, but this with, isn't to get them to Black Cat, something like no, that. absolutely yeah. not. And th- and that's where it comes in. Uh, with with the, the looking at the issues that we might have had with it, because you know, in, in crowdfunding, you get a product. In fact, a lot of people see it, and the best way to see it in my mind is as a pre-order. Mm-hmm. So, if I know um, Kingsley Flood has been doing a pledge music campaign all year, and I, no matter what level you donated at, you at least got the album. Yeah. Um, if you donated more, you got like a signed album or an LP when they produce it and all that. But you at least got the product. So uh, would you agree that I think the ticket is the product in this? Yeah, I, and I, that was my big question when you sent this to me, and it sounds like it was yours too. Um, you know, I think we've probably all donated to Kickstarters or GoFundMes mm-hmm. at this point, and usually the way that that works is like you said, you're 
you're essentially pre-ordering a product and you might get some bonus things because you're an early adopter, basically. Yeah. And you accept a small amount of risk right there, or in some cases, a large amount of risk mm-hmm. that the product might never actually be completed or that right, it might be completed right. behind schedule, but you're showing your faith and then you eventually get it there. I mean, I've done this for board game development before. I did it for a filmmaker that I like that uh, was uh, they were having one of her early works restored. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're donating more than you know just a couple of bucks symbolic yeah, gesture, yeah, yeah. you're supposed to get whatever the product is that's being that's being put out there. And Rebel's a little different because it's not a product. It's a it's an event. Right. But at the same time, I would think that to be successful, either you're gonna have to do it the way that that our friends are doing yeah. here, where it's going to be a venue that doesn't uh, that doesn't have tickets. Right. Or they're going to have to find a way to tie ticketing to this because you're not gonna get people donating a hundred bucks and then having to go and deal with the BS of uh, ticket pre-sales and maybe right. getting shut out and right. things like that before. Because you're basically saying you're, you want your super fans to commit money yeah. so that you'll come to their town, but then you're not guaranteeing them the opportunity to actually see you when they're see there. Yes, and exactly. so somebody who puts a lot of money into this, or even if it's not a lot in absolute terms, a lot for them, because the kinds of fans you're dealing with right here are, are probably going to be I would guess not necessarily the richest folk in the world. Um, yeah, you're yeah. going to be dealing with people who are just really big fans of your music, and you're asking them to put money in on top of the ticket of the ticket price, and then not guaranteeing them even the access to the ticket, even the opportunity yeah. to spend more money to get a ticket. Which, which in doing that, I think is poor, uh, poorly servicing your fan base. Now, to be clear, like this is not the bands doing this. I mean, this is, and I know Chris and Aaron are not participating in that, and and I think the direct. Uh, what they said was that uh, they uh, were concerned about it and then they're going to figure out a way that if for some reason they're playing a ticketed venue, um, you know, because a lot of this is to uh, highlight that you can do things differently, which mm-hmm. I think – and that's that's just what they do. I mean that, and a lot of bands do this. Um, I, I think it's uh, – like I said, Rabble was sort of uh, – I don't know. It was a – contest in some ways but i think the important thing about rabble that that this that i hope is going to be providing too because clearly any of these services are taking some off the top uh in talking with the ceo of rabble like they provided this wealth of data that was otherwise unavailable to these artists Mm -hmm. and whether or not an event happened they got all this like here's our demand here's our thing and you can work on it and whether or not they're going to do it or they have a marketing department uh taking care of that stuff for them, you know, it gives them the opportunity to actually figure out their market share and their base and where they are. I think that, I think that's, those analytics are beneficial, but I would say that even if, you know, I understand that there are logistics that that you have to deal with here because you don't necessarily in a model like this, you don't know what the venue is beforehand. So guaranteeing someone a ticket would seem to be difficult, but it would, it would seem to me that at a certain level, you could say that one of the benefits would be exclusive access to a presale code, at the very least. At the very least, yeah. To say, just, and you can limit those. You don't have to say as many people as do this, but you know, fifty people. If you donate fifty bucks, then you are the only ones who are who are able to get in here. No, no ticket scalpers, and, no brokers. Like you have a window where you're the only one that can buy the ticket. And that gets into something actually. Ed Water and I were uh, recently talking about this uh, about holds. On tickets and uh, scalpers and so there was an article in the New York Times. We talk about it in depth, so I'm not going to get into it. But uh, 
you know, this becomes another hold. And again, this is a, becomes the responsibility of Road Nation, I think, to do that because mm-hmm. uh, generally no one wants to see how the sausage is made. You know, they just want access to it. And, you know, to be clear, some of these incentives are like we, a meet and greet with the band mm-hmm. or they'll do this. And th- those are all great and all things that I think should be done and help build your fan base and build a connection to your fan base. Uh, but that ticket has to be there. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think that I, all that stuff is awesome, but it's all an add-on. Like, if you're not yeah. getting the base product, if you're like, hey, great, I got to go to a meet and greet with the band, but I got shut out of tickets the show, to the yeah. show, <laughs> that doesn't work real well. No, no. So uh, I, I think, I think like, just the the point of, of this, and we'll be, t- like I said, I have an email out to them. Uh, the company. We'll be talking about this more later because this is just the type of stuff we talk about. Um, you know, it's good. Uh, it's a step in the right direction for stuff. But, you know, startups doing this do have to think about this thing. It is their responsibility. Um, honestly, mainly because an artist can do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, to be clear, I mean, you can just start a, what, a Kickstarter, Indiegogo or something and be like, fund our tour. Or, you know, at a even at a more basic level, I think Eventful has been doing this yeah. just on a polling basis yeah. for the last six or seven years. So you've yeah. got to be, you've got to be putting in some kind of value add that makes it worth it both to the artist and to the fans. Like you're not going to get the reason Kickstarter worked is because it got this kind of groundswell of of support and was providing and was you know mm-hmm. was providing access to products that otherwise wouldn't be there. People saw a real way to support. Uh, Things that maybe weren't getting venture funding that were too small or too out there Exploding to really kids. Do, yeah, <laughs> things like that, uh, and they really have a populist, um, you know, populist funding model for it. And if you want to do the same thing for music, I think you've got to work out that that fundamental aspect of you like the artist, we're giving you a way to see the artist, not just a way to know that they pass through your town. Right. All right. Uh, so, uh, Road Nation, we've got. Our eye on you for now. Uh, hopefully they reach out. We'll have some more feedback. Uh, and if you guys have heard Mr. Von Numeray, uh, check it out. We'll put a link in there. Uh, support them. Get them all the way back across here. They're fun people to hang out with. So I like when they can do that. Uh, let's talk about some Eleanor Friedberger. I feel just as crazy as I did last night. Feel like I'll get up and go Today I'm frozen But tomorrow I'll write About you uh-huh. A friend and her baby And a dog He didn't mention his mother That is the uh, first track off of Eleanor Friedberger's latest album, New View Uh, Eleanor Friedberger, you might be able to give a better background than I can, Paul Uh, But she's a Fiery Furnaces If you had to sum up Fiery Furnaces in a few words For those who haven't heard of them, how would you you do that? Um, Indie brother-sister duo, no None of their albums sounded like any of the others of their albums They were really unafraid to... uh, to take some pretty big chances. Mm. And so they, I, I loved them. Frankly, yeah. I wish they'd get back together. I think they, they you may uh, be the only one. No, no, I definitely <laughs> not the only one, but they, uh, they really complimented each other. Well, and they made some great music. Um, and they made some really bad music too. Yeah. I don't, you know, don't want to, sorry, but the, the album with their grandmother is 
is bad. Virtually unlistenable, yeah. but that was a very personal album at least and taking yeah, taking sure. a chance. But Blueberry Boat is awesome. Gallowsbird Bark is fantastic. Tomato so. tomato, man. <laughs> um she she went solo in the two thousand when they break up. Two thousand I think it was two thousand twelve, yeah. I wanna say. 12, uh, yeah. Around there. But she went solo in two thousand eleven was yeah. the first one. In two thousand thirteen was uh was it permanent record? Personal. Personal record. Yeah. Uh, like I said, the name of this album is New View. She is back. She is no longer in uh, Brooklyn and wants you to know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing with a band that is 10 years who her... One, one might say that this is her new view. One might. <laughs> uh, if, if you read, she did an extensive article uh, or interview with Consequence of Sound, uh, pointing out that she's playing with kids that are 10 years younger than her. She's fully feeling the uh, indie rock, I guess, royalty... Uh, in her mind, at least, and and offering advice, I guess, outside of this in the press cycle, the new album. Um, I'm actually, I was actually a big fan of these other albums, and I'm a big fan, I think, of about half of what this album is. Uh, sonically, this is a little different from her. I mean, that song that it starts slow, and that's traditionally mm-hmm. what you would expect uh, from just i don't know indie rock with feels but it definitely branches out into some interesting territories a lot of it, it has to do with it branches out into some almost like country rock some wilcoish territories um but the sonics for me at least is where that ends i mean i maybe you can speak to this and analyze it a little better than i can but i you know even in listening to it this morning all, the songs all seem to be about the exact same thing and maybe the exact same person. And after a while, it's just sort of like, I'm not quite sure I need to hear any more about this thing. Yeah, I I have to agree. I think that the the album is uh, more than a little bit repetitive. Um, it It's a different sound for her, but it's... Yeah. Not the, on that song. No, no, no. no. Well, uh, but even that, like she, her last couple albums have been a little more uh, in the... A little little poppier than that, and this is kind of going back to some almost like seventies singer songwriter type things. Mm-hmm. You're not hearing as much of like the, uh, I guess, sonic experimentation. This is her. Uh, this is the, the the closest thing she's come, and it really is just a pure traditional singer songwriter album, which I think fits with what she's trying to do because she's she moved. Yeah. Away from the city, which had always not just it's not just that she was somebody who lived in Brooklyn, like it informed a lot of her music. Yeah. She was very much in a part of the city. Mm -hmm. And so taking that shift and moving out to the countryside, uh, even if it's in the same state, anybody who knows New York knows that upstate is a world different from Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, And then she's kind of looking back at that and trying to take stock of it. And I think that I see what she's trying to do, and I, I like a lot of the songs yeah. right here, but it doesn't have any of that, uh, any of the experimentation that I have really enjoyed about her in the past, even since she broke broke off from the Fiery Furnaces. Right, uh, right. Nothing she's done has been as experimental as what the Fiery Furnaces was doing, right. but you could still hear that in the background, and this just feels more like, all right... Uh, a voice and a band and some yeah. some interesting lyrics and some lyrics that are a little cringeworthy at and, various points. Well, we'll get into some of those, actually. Um, you know, like, and so because I ask you, why would you want to treat me like a tennis pro? Because it rhymes with something, uh, you know. Um, 
no kissing in the mausoleum. It's the end of this weird couplet that's later on in all known things, which I think has a a really good uh, keyboard jam. I think that's the one uh, that ends with that. Um, Yeah, it, it's a it's a weird juxtaposition of I I think the experimentation is there just because this is not her mode, right? Mm-hmm. Um but it's like she didn't it's been, the album's been described as uh very intimate like personal and very like narrow like scenes of of personal like feelings things happen little uh vignettes mm-hmm. and stuff. Um but yeah, you know, as I said before, they all end up the same, and it's almost there didn't seem throughout the whole album to be a responsibility that she felt to actually fleshing any of those out. There's a lot of like good rhyming stuff, and it is good technical writing that doesn't say anything. And and like, like you said, it just you know by what was my note on um, by two versions of tomorrow, I was like this album's too long, right now. Like, this needs to be. You know, maybe a song less, and there's four songs after that, three songs after that. Yeah, I think that's why, you know, the, for lack of a better term, the traditional singer-songwriter album is such a difficult genre to work in now. You're right that it's mm-hmm. not something that she's done purely before because she's always been going for some kind of pop experimentation. Mm-hmm. And Does this make it, and does that make it more experimental? It, it's experimental. I don't know if I'd use experimental. It's a, well, it's, a, personally it's, a cha- it's a change of genre for her, but... It's a it's a tough lane to be in because so many people have done it before mm-hmm. and so many people have done it well and so many people have done it poorly. So to actually set yourself apart from the pack when you're saying I'm going to use this same type of sonic palette and I'm going to be singing about the same sorts of things that so many people have done in the past. Yeah. Like you kind of very easily uh, end up being reduced to comparisons. Or, Which I think is fair. Actually. Yeah. You know, it's when you, when you operate within it within a genre and within a mode that is so well trodden, then you either have to accept that you're not going to stand out, which I don't think most people want to, mm. or you're going to have to do something that is extraordinary or that makes people really connect with your music. And I think what you said is absolutely right. Like there, that some of these lyrics are more functional than personal. Yeah. And the stuff that is personal comes through in part, but doesn't really hold a narrative through the entire album. Right. Um, I think one thing where it, 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 I don't know if she is branching out on this song, but I think it is one of the best songs of the album, actually. Um, besides Open Season, which Open Season start, it could be Impossible Germany. I mean, that's just lifted straight from Wilco. It has similar like sonic textures mm-hmm. throughout. Um, and uh, it is another song about a house, though. There's a lot of songs about houses on this album. Uh, but the song Sweetest Girl, which I think, you know, for all her trying to get away from New York. Uh, and this is what she's saying, like outside of the album. This is an impressive stuff. Uh, this is one of the more New York songs she's ever done. So uh, let's hear "Sweetest Girl" uh, real quick, and then uh, come back and discuss this a little more. Heart. 
Right, so Sweetest Girl, uh, hitting on television really early on, channeling a little Patti Smith. I could actually see uh, that as a song is, is Latter-day R.E.M., Michael Stipe singing something like that. Sure. He was, I mean, from, uh, I was going to say from New Adventures and Hi-Fi On, but that was really the end of R.E.M., uh, was big on the Patti Smith tip the whole R.E.M. career. Uh, and to me, that, that song is the most interesting song on the album uh, because it just... Yeah, we've talked to a lot of a lot of bands who are afraid to just honor their influences and what they're trying to do, and they got to make it weird. Mm -hmm. And that just goes for it and says, "We want television. We want Patti Smith. Let's go." Yeah, the problem is, and again, this is something we've talked about a bunch of times. I just don't see it rising above the influences. It's well, sometimes it doesn't have to, but it's kind of it's kind of just influence checking, you know. And I'm not being too down on it because I actually I, I like the album. Yeah, it, I'm. It's one of these where it's like because I really like other stuff that she's doing, I'm kind of nitpicking because mm -hmm. I was hoping that it would be, you know, better. But yeah. I, I, I love her voice. And so she hooks me into some of these songs even when I'm just not entirely sold on what she's trying to say. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the musician she's working with right now, they can play. It's just that yeah. it doesn't all come together as well as I'd like it to. Um, I really kind of hope that this isn't just a – you know, she's singing with some session musicians and then kicking think, it down the road. I don't think she like, is. If, if, if this is a band that's going to stick together this a like bit. like an origin story? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like, okay, this is where we're feeling each other out. And she's singing about moving. And we're trying to figure out what's, which of these sonic influences we actually want to let predominate. And maybe it comes together into something uh, yeah. more cohesive on the next album when they're all more in sync. But right now, I think that that's the biggest criticism I can levy is it doesn't feel like it's all synced towards a particular yeah. goal. Yeah, which is my, yeah. And that, that, again, that's my whole problem with the, the lyrics on this and everything. The goal was, feels like maybe it was just get the band churning, like start it up, see what we're going to do with it, see what we're going to do with it. And then all this other stuff was afterthoughts. Like, oh, I went through this really personal stuff. I want to talk about that for 11 songs yeah. in exactly the Which same is fine. It's, it's better than what most other people are doing, so. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. I listen to a lot of when a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that comes out, and you just like turn it off, and it's crap, and this isn't crap. This yeah. is good. Yeah. It's just so, not, so, good so what are you going to do with it? Stream. Yeah. Yep. I feel like it's a it's a good stream. I'm going to listen to her other two solo albums before this, but mm -hmm. I see the potential, and um, I hope they stick together, and make uh, make some more albums. Yeah, I am with you on that sentiment. Uh, also on the stream, uh, you know the uh, the Sonics are just too interesting for me to just completely ignore. Um, and uh, not as big a fan of her voice, but you know, she gets there. Can't she's coming to U Street Music Hall? So yeah, that, and that's, may, maybe we'll go see her there, and all shall be revealed. And yeah, hey, look, and and for anybody listening, that's going to be a show that I'm sure is is going to be uh, well worth watching. She does a good job live, and yeah. U Street Music Hall is a very intimate venue. Yep. So I think for 
for this type of uh, this type of music that she's working with, that would be a great place to uh, check her out. All right, Eleanor Friedberger, double stream. Ready to wrap up this year' podcast like we do every week. Uh, we like to play a track, and uh, a lot of times last year I was picking a lot of them. Some of them were local, some of them were not local. This one is certainly not local. This one's in Brooklyn, I think. It is Brooklyn. Paul? We're sticking to Brooklyn. Uh, this is one Paul picked out. So, Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about some chairlift? Yeah, um, chairlift, uh, they've been around for a little bit. Uh, I think they've got two albums before this, uh, but their new one, Moth, just came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, they play. Uh, the kind of uh, synth pop that uh, has become uh, resurgently popular over the last couple of years. But I think that they go some more interesting places with it than, uh, than some other folks do. So if you're feeling in a, in a poppy mood, if you want to feel the, uh, the indie feels, then uh, I think that Chairless Moth is a, is a good album to go. And we're going to play the uh, song Polymorphing. All right. Album. So you go chairlift uh, off the album. This is new this year, right? This is 2016. This yeah. is this is just the last couple of weeks. Okay, uh, polymorphy.
right. Polymorphine from Chairlift. Not what I was expecting. Uh, I dig it, man. A little Jamiroquai, a little uh, Miami Sound Machine action going on there. Yeah, they've got the. Uh, you got some of those like smart. Are, pop are they being going. put forth as synth pop? Because that's that to me is that's just pop. Yeah, I mean, I think that in all honesty, their their last album was probably a little bit more synthy than this one was, okay. and they're trying to push it in a in a how many albums they got out? Direction. It's either two or three. I, I wish I knew, right. but I know they've got. I know this is at least their second. It might be their third. Right. Uh, the last one got a little bit of buzz. This one's getting a little bit more, and I think they're pushing their boundaries a little bit, but still very much in a pop lane right there. Yeah, yeah, that's groovy. Put on the jams for me and the ladies' anniversary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's right. It is today. <laughs> we're, we're making a fucking podcast. <laughs> She's very happy about that. Uh, it's Kevin's last anniversary. Last <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, on that note, it's about time we get done with this podcast. Right. Um, thanks for coming down to the basement, Paul. Uh, Always happy to do it. Hope you guys uh, check out Eleanor Friedberger. Uh, check out all the stuff we listen to. Uh, if you like us, please uh, like our Facebook page. I don't tell people to do that too often because I don't know what to do about Facebook. Uh, and, uh, you know, and Andy's sitting here like, maybe I'll do something. Um, like us on iTunes. Give us a little review, a little stars. You can listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, supposedly we're on Deezer somewhere. I still don't know. You can't get Deezer in the United States. What's a Deezer? Yeah, exactly. What's a Deezer? Uh, we'll be back uh, in, in a few short days. Uh, coming month, we're going to be talking... Casper uh, Combs has a new album coming out. Uh, DC's own or DC Ish's own Two Inch Astronaut. I think that's going to be the next one after this. Uh, so uh, a lot of good stuff coming up. So as always, be good to your ears and uh, be better to your people. We'll talk to you in a few. Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>